Hey, this is Adam Starling. I'm the senior pastor at Victory Family Church. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray this message will inspire you, encourage you, and hopefully challenge you to become everything that God has called you to be. Enjoy the message. Father God, that is our prayer. Father God, that we could focus on you, God, and the things of this world. God would truly grow strangely dim. I know there are many of us, God, that have, have came in here today with stresses of life that weigh just heavy. God, I pray for some supernatural peace, God, that, that truly surpasses all understanding, that the things of this world grow strangely dim. They would, they would disappear. I wonder if we could just sit in that just for a second. I don't know what your week or weekend has been like, but mine, I started Friday night for our first experience and I showed up at the church about three o'clock and we, if you know, we got a building project going next door and there's some guys that were building a fire pit that I asked them to build out in front. I don't think it was their fault. It was probably my fault, but I saw that it was not right when I pulled up. And I'm so excited about the service, and I said, you have to tear it down. You have to tear it down. It, it, it's, it's awful. We can't, we, you can't do this. So they began tearing this down, and then I had to make some phone calls there, and I begged a guy who I felt like owed me a favor to come pour footing for me the next morning. He said he'd be there at 7 a.m., therefore I had to be at Home Depot at 5.45 in the morning to get concrete bags to beat him here. It just feels like this weekend for me up to, to this point has just been kind of chaotic. And so I don't know how your weekend has been or even your week or month has been, but I, my prayer is would be that, man, what if, what if it could just, all that could grow strangely dim right now? Like we could look to the face of Jesus and God, that's our prayer. And we would forget about the stresses of this world we could just rest in your arms, God, even if it's just for 25 minutes here. But we'd hear your word, God, and everything else would just fade away. We can deal with those worries after. We can deal with tomorrow, tomorrow. But for right now, God, we want to look to your eyes and just focus and see you. We love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen, and amen. Guys, thanks so much for being here. Isn't the Lord good? Isn't he a good God? We serve an incredible God. Man, thank you guys for being here today. If you don't know me, my name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here and really just thankful you're here. This is number six that we've done this weekend. It has been a ton of fun. It's been incredible. Uh, man, Lord has showed up and done some really incredible, incredible things. Hey, listen, if it's your first time, man, Thanks for being here, man. Super honored that you're here in this place. Uh, really, man, I want to give you a gift, man. It's not much, but it's a token. Uh, when you stop by, when you leave at the pergola out there, I want to give you a cup. Really, just to tell you, man, really, we're, we're honored that you are here. There's a lot of things you could be doing on a Sunday. And so, man, we are just honored that you're in uh, this place. I do want to take time before we dive into the Word to invite you back next week. On one hand, we do this every week, so you're invited. But two, it's going to be a fun Sunday, man. We're having a couple OU football players that'll be on the stage. And I know you volleyball player that will be on the stage that I will interview. Uh, it's going to be an incredible Sunday. And so I want to invite you to come back to that. But today is Easter and we celebrate Easter today, the greatest day of the world. If you're a follower of Christ, today we get to celebrate the risen Savior. The risen Savior is what we celebrate today. So I don't know about for you, but today, this morning, you're spending time with church family. 
many of you probably are leaving here and going to spend time with your own family. And listen, that could bring an array of emotions, right? Some of you are happy about it. Some of you are not happy about that, right? So you don't know. And so there's stresses that come with family. Some of you, you're cooking. That brings stress, right? Because grandma never likes your cooking. Never, right? And Aunt Cynthia, she always knows your house isn't clean enough, right? There's the stress of the family coming over that may come with a little bit of anxiety that you get to deal with the rest of the day. For me, man, we, we always visit both families, uh, mine and my wife's family on holidays. And I'll just say it like this, one of our families, I won't tell you which one, one of our families sometimes brings a bit of anxiety for me. Let me tell you why. So I grew up, you may know this, but I grew up in Prague and that should just tell you everything, like who I am. Like as far as country town, I grew up very blue collar. My dad owned dump trucks. Like that's what he did for a living. And so, man, we just weren't really touchy feely people in the Porter house. And so I literally, I can't remember a time I actually hugged my father. I don't need counseling. I'm fine. Like literally I, I loved my dad. He loved me, but my dad would say this often, men shake hands. You, you may disagree. That's okay. That was just my dad. And so, man, we're just not super touchy feely in our house. Now the other family, the other family, my wife's family, they are touchy feely. And so they do a lot of hugging, uh, which stresses me a little bit. Uh, so I, I get a little anxious when I go over there. Here's the thing. They kiss. They kiss also. They also kiss. The only person I want to kiss is my wife. Nobody else. I, I don't want anybody's other lips touching me at all. Man, I remember one time it was a Thanksgiving and I'm telling you, I'm not gonna tell you who, one of them family members, she hit me right here. Like, I mean, it was so close to my lips. Like it's straight. I said, you ruined Thanksgiving. You just ruined Thanksgiving for me. I'm so stressed the rest of the day. I don't know how to respond to this. They are touchy-feely. They're all in your personal space. And so, man, today, man, we're gonna talk about the disciple John because I think that's actually how John was. I can just picture when I read the text, man, I see John, he's always up around Jesus. Like he's always super close to Jesus. I think even at the Last Supper, like he's the one laying on Jesus when Jesus is trying to serve the meal. He's always in Jesus' personal bubble. And so what I wanna do today is look at the Easter story, the story of the resurrection through the lens of the disciple John. And so in Jesus' ministry, man, large crowds would follow him. When he preached, thousands would listen to what he would say. In fact, one time he sent out 70 different people to do ministry. But you know this, but he chose 12 guys, 12 guys who were super close to him. Now, if you look closer, you might even make a case that there were three of those 12 who were even closer than the others. And I think a case could be made that one, John, was closer to Jesus than any of the others. Listen, all 12 all of them saw the miracles that Jesus performed. All of them got to witness that. All of them got to hear the, the teachings of Jesus. I think that all 12 of them believed Jesus was exactly who he said he was. But it was in his darkest moment that only John was left. I always found it funny in the book of John, which he wrote, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loves. Sounds a bit arrogant to me. Like I'm writing it. Like I'm the dude, I'm the favorite. I'm the one Jesus loved. But if you'll read the scriptures, it appears there's some truth to that. It looks like that he is closer to Jesus than any of the other disciples. In fact, one time you might remember, but he, Jesus had talked about that, that one of you 12 are going to betray me. Peter leans over to John and says, ask him who? Like ask him, and you know, man, if there's a favorite in the room, you ask the favorite to ask the tough questions, right? So that's what he's doing. It just seems that he was the favorite of Jesus. In fact, in a second, we'll read that Jesus asks John, 
when I die, take care of mom. Take care of my mother. And this would not have been the cultural norm. Jesus had brothers. It would have been the eldest brother who should have taken care of mom. But he asked John. So that's not normal unless John was actually closer than a brother. The reality is John was just close to Jesus. He was unbelievably close to Jesus. So I want to look at the gospel of John today. In John chapter 19, if you have your Bibles, then we're going to look at verse 16 through 30. If not, it will be on the screen behind me. But the text reads like this. So they took Jesus and you went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him with two others, one on either side with Jesus in the middle, right between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. And it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, don't write that. Don't write the King of the Jews, but rather write the man who said he was the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and they divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic, but his tunic was seamless, woven into one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, the scripture that was written many, many years before this actually happened, to fulfill this. They divided my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son, as he pointed at John. Then he said to the disciple, John, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Verse 28 says this, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and they held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. He died. He died on that cross, like it's over. And so I don't know, I don't know whatever his followers thought was going to happen last Sunday on Palm Sunday, when there's this party, when Jesus comes in riding on a donkey, whatever they expected, I cannot imagine it was this. It's over. This is not what deliverance is supposed to look like. This is not what salvation is supposed to look like. This is crazy. They're all confused. You remember what Peter does when he finds out that there's a possibility of him actually going to the cross. So Jesus had told him, I'm going to die for your sins. Peter rebukes Jesus and he says, far it be from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Why does he say that? Because it's confusing. Because kings don't die on crosses. Kings send people to crosses to die. And they gotta be thinking, who needs to go to the cross? That's Rome. Rome ought to go to the cross, not King Jesus. That's the salvation we think we need is from a tyrant government. And so I don't know, I just imagine the confusion, even the, the bewilderment of John and the rest of the disciples, how they must have felt. And really I try to put myself in their shoes. 
And, and I just wonder, like, is it really not mere conceit that would make us think that our response would have been any more courageous than that of Peter to the questioning of strangers about his relationship with the soon to be condemned Jesus? I mean, really, do we imagine that we have stood up against the temper of the crowd and not called for Barabbas to be released? Like if any of us could put ourselves in Pilate's shoes, would we have not told the crowd this was wrong and demanded justice of an innocent man be released? The executioners, they had a job and they did it. And I just wonder, man, at that point, when all this goes down, the disciples begin even to doubt their own faith. I mean, in terms of religious understanding and the observance kind of known to them, see, they don't have the vantage point that we do today. Like, I don't know, did they ever even swing the other way and begin to think, you know, maybe Jesus had this coming. I mean, maybe the verdict of the people and the verdict of Pilate was actually right because Jesus did threaten to destroy the temple. And maybe they thought, you know, maybe the temple struck back and maybe he just had this coming. I just think such thoughts had to enter their mind where they actually doubted themselves and they doubted Jesus. They must have thought to themselves, why do we follow him? Like, why do we do this? Why would we give all these years of our life for this? How could we be so blind and maybe even scared? Do they think that why now, well, these religious authorities who just killed Jesus, are they now gonna come after us who actually followed him too? Listen, everyone lost hope. Everyone lost hope. This is an extraordinary moment in history. Jesus is dead and he's buried and all of Jesus' followers are devastated. There's no savior. There's no son of God. There are no believers, so there's no hope. Because when Jesus died, hope died. No Christ, no Christians. So I just wonder, even this morning, this Easter morning, are there those of us in the room right now that have just lost hope somewhere along the way? Maybe you lost hope. Maybe you feel like Jesus wasn't there when you actually thought he should be. Or maybe this, maybe you believed for something, even prayed for something over and over and that situation actually got worse. Maybe you've conceded to live a lesser life. Maybe you settled for hopelessness. You've given up on things you once dreamed about. The scriptures don't record a ton between the cross and the resurrection, but we certainly know John left crushed. He left crushed, confused, and defeated. Like, how do I move on with life? I sold everything for this thing. How do I move on with life? And then, then we know, if you know the Easter story, you know it's, it's early Sunday morning that Mary Magdalene runs to, to Peter and John. and says, someone's stolen the body. Like he's not in the tomb where they put him. And so they began running to the tomb. Let's pick up verse three. So, so Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb, both of them running together, but the other disciple outran Peter, it's John, and he reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. So I don't know why, but John won't go in. Verse six, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up by a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. You see, Jesus' story is not worth telling because of the, the claims he made. 
it's not worth telling because of the miracles he performed or even the crucifixion. You see, thousands were crucified on a cross just like Jesus. Jesus' story is worth telling because he's resurrected. That's why his story is worth telling. And listen, if, if, if he is resurrected, then the cross is significant. If he's resurrected, then his miracles are significant. If he's resurrected, then every single word he said is significant. Because if the resurrection is true, then everything else must be true. If the resurrection happened, then truly, Jesus is the Son of God. And so listen to me, family. If you believe in the resurrection, my challenge to you this morning would be to run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. If you've lost hope, hear me, run to Jesus. You've, you've walked through a, a series of months here that you've just felt hopeless. Hear me, run to Jesus. And so since the resurrection is true, listen, the cross means you get forgiveness. Since the resurrection is true, the cross means I get forgiveness. We get to experience the healing of Jesus. We get to experience the greatest miracle ever performed in that salvation because the resurrection is true. Now, if the resurrection didn't happen, well, then our Bible is just an archaic book of letters. But because it did happen, because it did happen, every single word is meaningful. It does mean you, oh, son or daughter, you are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And listen to me, you have a purpose. And God has a plan for your life. It means there's hope for your children. That wayward son or that wayward daughter you're praying for night and day, there's hope for them. There's hope for your marriage. There's hope for your addiction. Listen to me, there's hope for that secret sin you think nobody knows about. And maybe they don't. There's even hope for that. It means Jesus is coming back for his church. It means he's coming back one day for us. There's a time where Jesus paints, tells a story, this parable, and, and paints this incredible, beautiful redemption story of the prodigal son. You probably know this story, but it's really a, a story of two sons. And one, the youngest, wants his inheritance before dad dies. And so he asks him for it. Let me have my money. I'm going I'm to roll out. So he takes his money. And you may know the story, but he goes and he, he squanders all of that money in sinful living finds himself hitting rock bottom, working for a pig farm in the pig slop. And he's hit rock bottom and he just thinks to himself, what if, like, like what if I just gamble here? Like what if I just take a chance here and go back to dad? What if I just go back? Like would he, would he receive me? And if you know the story, you know he goes back and the father receives him and puts him in the exact same place. Like, I think he put him in the same bedroom. Like, he didn't put him in the guest house outside. Like, he brought him in and restored him as a son, the exact same place he was before. I hope you understand this. This story ain't about the son. It's called the prodigal son. This story's about the father. It's about the father. Your story isn't about you. My story isn't about me. It's about the father. Listen, if you've wandered away and you've kind of, what you feel like even wasted your life or you've walked away from the father, listen to me. He's waiting for you to come home. He's waiting for you. He's, he, that story even dictates God as, as going out and waiting at the gate. He's wa eagerly waiting for you to return. He's welcoming you home. So if you've wandered, hear me. He's welcoming. He's waiting for you to return. Let me give you another text here in John chapter 20. Last one, verse 19 says, On the evening of that day, 
the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews. They're scared. They come to kill us. Jesus came though, and he stood among them. And he said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands where the nails were. He showed his side where they pierced him. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. I just try to think about that, that time in John's life. Like I think about maybe at this last supper, like I just picture him just lounging on Jesus. Like that's this boy, right? They're just lounging around on Jesus. And then we see him at the cross, but it's almost like John just kind of disappears for a second. And I just wonder, even John, does he feel ashamed for that? Like he understood the, 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 the prophecy that he's gonna come back alive, but he didn't stay at the tomb. Like I wonder, is he, is he feeling guilt over that? Does he feel ashamed of that for giving up? And so maybe some of you feel that way today. Maybe shame from sin or mistake you've made, or maybe if you're honest, you've just stopped making God a priority in your life. And you know it. You know you've drifted away from where God wants you to be. And maybe even this morning, it felt weird walking in this building. Because maybe the last year, maybe the pandemic actually kind of got you spiritually. There are many of us, we stayed away from the church because we had to. There are many people that had to stay away, but somehow it got you different. Like you swore it wouldn't. You knew you couldn't come in person maybe, and you needed to be safe for your family or for yourself. And you swore, man, I'm gonna stay engaged. I'm gonna stay, I'm gonna make sure I listen to the podcast every single week. I'm not gonna stop reading my Bible, Lord. I'm going to stay engaged. But for whatever reason, you've drifted away from the Lord this entire year. You've abandoned Jesus altogether. So now, I don't know, maybe you doubted your faith. And maybe you even feel some shame for giving up on God. And maybe you feel like you messed up and that God's ashamed of you. Family, listen to me. No matter what you've done, no matter what you feel right now, there is nothing you can do to make God stop loving you. There's nothing you can do to make God stop loving. He loves you so much. In fact, this weekend, we celebrate the fact that he sent his son. That's how much he loves you. Regardless of what the world's telling you, regardless of what your mind is telling you, he loves you. And he wants you to know that today. I have two boys. And as a father, you're a parent, you'll understand this. As a father, if you really want to hurt me, Like, if you really want to hurt me, go to my two boys and convince them that I don't love them. You want to hurt dad, you want to hurt the father, convince those boys of mine that I don't love them. And you can tell them, hey, you're not his biological children. You don't look like them. You can tell them all these things I don't love them, but that's not true. I love them. They are my world. I love them with everything in me. I love them so incredibly deeply. Here's my fear. My fear is that some of you are believing that same lie. You're convinced that the Father doesn't love you and it breaks his heart, family. He wants you to know he loves you because we too have been adopted sons and daughter of God and he loves you deeply. Do not believe the lie. Because listen, your heart reacts often to what the mind gives it. Your heart will start believing what your mind tells us. Some of you need to wage war on your minds. Listen to me, not only does he love you, he has a purpose for you. There are many reasons why I love this passage, but one of them is because you see that Jesus still has purpose for those people who gave up on him. 
So listen to me, if you follow Jesus, if you consider yourself a follower of Christ today, after this text, understand he's sending you out just like the disciples. And so let me ask this question, I just wonder, this is the sixth experience we've had. I just wonder if everyone decided this weekend as this Victory Family Church, we're gonna leave here on mission. Like because he got him, because the Father sent him, now he gives us the Holy Spirit and now he sends us. What if we decide to get on board with that? I'm telling you, our community would look different. Your neighborhood would look different. Your place of employment would look different if you would get on board with the fact that he called you to be a missionary of the community that you're in. And so I don't know, maybe you've lost some hope in the journey or, or maybe today you even feel disqualified. Hear me, the world is lost. It's hurt, it's broken. And I don't know why, but Jesus has chosen you. Jesus has chosen me to reach our community. Will we answer the call of being sent out to where he's called each and every one of us? He's called you to your neighborhood for a reason. He's called you to your place of employment for a reason. He's called you to that gas station you stop at to get that terrible cup of coffee every morning for a reason. For a reason. He has you in these places for a reason. So my question to you, oh believer, will you respond? Will you answer the call to be his hands and feet outside of this building? Father God, we love you. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for the call in our own lives. God, we thank you for the resurrection. God, and what it means this very moment. God, it means there's freedom. God, it means there's freedom to be had for each one of us in this room. God, thank you for the cross. God, we know that your, your word says there is now, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It was while we were yet sinners, you died for us. And so God, I pray for that believer in this room today that knows you, but they just, they just walk with the weight, with the gravity of condemnation every day. God, I pray supernaturally that would disappear. God, you would lift that off of them. God, I pray they'd be freed up. God, they'd be freed up. God, that no longer are we slaves to sin, but we're free. We're free to worship God. We're free to love regardless of what our past says. The past month or the past year, the past years of our life, today we're free because of the cross and the resurrection. We are free. We are free. We are free. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's message, I want to encourage you to like it or share it on social media and tag at VFC underscore Newcastle. If you haven't already, download the Victory Family Church app to stay connected with everything that's happening throughout the week. Thanks again for listening. Have an awesome week.